and welcome to the 74th and well overdue episode of the Always Drive podcast, your weekly look at the latest news from the car, truck, and motorcycle industries where we take everything but ourselves seriously. I'm your host, Devlin Riggs, and I'm happy to be back at the microphone after a long, unplanned break during which I did plenty of driving in some of the worst rental cars I've ever experienced. Uh, First was the Jeep Renegade in Ohio, which is by far one of the most dreadful vehicles I've ever driven. If you've seen one of these, they're they're pretty cute, small, jacked-up hatchbacks that fit into that subcompact crossover segment every company is looking to exploit because people are irrational car buyers and get vehicles with more capabilities than they need or will ever use. The difference is, with the Jeep Renegade, you are most definitely not getting more capabilities. This, see, is not really a Jeep, but rather a Fiat 500X that has had a new body slapped on the same chassis. If you look in the door sills, you can see that it's made in Italy, and boy, the uh, the quality shows. Despite riding on what look like comically small wheels and tires for a, quote, SUV, uh, the road noise and whirring from the tires sounded more like I was rolling coal on 35 inch tires on my way to the swamp bog rather than on standard all-season radials. Inside, it was small, cramped, uncomfortable, and the controls were either poorly laid out or hidden inside a touchscreen that I found difficult to navigate. Um, I was driving because I had to go shoot video on a farm that had some recent construction, so great, I thought I'd get to explore the Jeep's Jeep's off-road capabilities. Um, After getting all four tires off the gravel and into some soft dirt, I quickly came to realize that there were actually no off-road capabilities and I would be 100% stuck if I continued on and needed to be towed out by the farm's owner in his uh, F-250 Super Duty. Fortunately, I managed to spin my way back to the gravel where the car stayed, undoubtedly embarrassed at the show it put on for the farm's cows. Uh, The Jeep Renegade is is the worst kind of badge engineering, where you take a perfectly modest car in the Fiat 500X and make it look like something it most definitely is not. Meanwhile, back in Missouri, I drove a Kia Sorento for a few days out west and uh, while running some events for a client. The Sorento, though, it's it's not an objectively bad car. Uh, When you close your eyes and you think about a midsize crossover, this is probably what you're picturing because it's so generic and boring that it just about blends in with traffic, so you make no notice of it at all. Worse yet, it was painted in a sort of, uh, my dog has such bad diarrhea that she's now shitting blood shade of red-brown. I understand that not all cars should be silver, white, or black, but can't we have some sort of creativity here? Uh, The interior was spacious for all the gear that I had uh, while I was traveling, but the seat was so incredibly bad, I think I still need the chiropractor's touch two weeks later to get over the damage it did to me. Um, Over short distances, you don't really notice it, but beyond an hour or so, the lack of lumbar support and poor side bolsters really becomes obvious. It's like you're sitting in a a cheap booth at Applebee's. You know, it's there because it needs to be, not because it's a good place to be, or because you like it. And that, that's sort of the case with the rest of the car, too. It has a color screen and a dashboard that's there for the backup camera and to display media, but it is neither big nor snappy, and the resolution is really poor for 2018. There was also 
uh, a litany of obnoxious cubby holes everywhere that seemed to either be just barely too small or way too large to hold a cell phone. And it just seemed like the car was rushed out the door to meet the growing demand for crossovers. And tomorrow I'm, I'm off again, up to Chicago for some socialization and to tour some rich people's fancy houses. But the difference this time is, I'm not driving. We are taking the Texas Eagle, uh, which is a fancy name for an Amtrak train that goes from L.A. to Chicago via, you guessed it, Texas. Uh, so, of course, this flies in the face of the name of the show, Always Drive, right? Well, the truth is, sometimes driving sucks, like across Illinois, the land of zero hills and zero attractions worth taking a detour for. If this was, say, the trip from L.A. to San Francisco, yes, 100%, drive that every time. Even if you take the inland route, it's beautiful and engaging when you're behind the wheel, but I've had enough corn and soybean fields for a while. Plus, there's the second L in the title, which was intentional, not just because the URL always drive with one L was taken. Um, I want to talk about all the ways we drive. So cars, trucks, motorcycles, and yeah, I, I guess someone is going to be driving my train tomorrow. So with that, here is your top story. Today's top story is that episode 74 will be the final episode of the Always Drive podcast with top stories, or with headlines, or new cars, or motorcycles. I, I can't promise that I'll never do another wrap-up because, well, the music just flows through me like a conduit, and also I enjoy torturing your eardrums. Uh, but instead, episode 75 will be the first of a new era in the Always Drive podcast, where I transition the show from being one... Uh, you know, weekly story about the news to one long feature-length deep dive that really gets into a different subject each week. And the reasons for this are many. First is scheduling. Over the past month, I've worked between 50 and 70 hours each week at my full-time job that puts food on my table and a roof over my head, and I've been quite simply running on empty, making it impossible to sit down for about 6 to 10 hours Additionally, each week to write an entire podcast, presenting or pretending to be excited about uh, you know whatever Hyundai was unveiled that week. Uh, in truth, the weekly news format has begun to feel more and more like an obligation to me rather than uh, like fun every week. And I started this site, started started writing stories, and started this podcast to share my enthusiasm for the joys of motoring. Not to compete with Autoblog or the Automotive News or Jalopnik or any other number of car news websites. Granted, no other site had a show like this one uh, that I've been recording for more than a year and a half. So I thought, you know, this format would be more than enough to remain interesting. But it just hasn't held its interest for me. And it hasn't developed enough of a following to justify continuing. Especially as we enter this final stretch in the run-up to uh, having a kid, my time is going to become increasingly dear. So the constant pressure to cover the biggest news from the past week will only be tougher to keep up with. In addition to time constraints, focusing on a different subject every episode will allow the show to become more evergreen. For most listeners, there's probably no reason to ever go back and listen to episode 34 of this show. After all, it was last year, and... 
who cares what news happened last year, especially if I've up just updated you in the past couple of weeks. By digging deep into a, a variety of subjects, I'll, I'll sort of create a library of topics for new listeners who can go back to it for more content if they just can't get enough of the sound of my voice. Um, it'll allow me to share new voices with you by conducting interviews with new people who can speak at length uh, on cars, trucks, and motorcycles, and uh, even deeper into roads, bridges, highways, signs, or any other of, number of other related topics. Uh, in short, by applying more specific focus, I believe I'll be able to create a broader, more interesting show for you listeners and for those we pick up along the way. Uh, this also means that you probably won't be hearing from me every week, but more probably every other week as my schedule allows. Um, this is a one-man show right now, and, and it's, uh, this one man sort of needs to become a dad soon, uh, which carries with it a whole ton of prep work uh, that I've been chewing through in addition to taking on more responsibility in my day job. And as much as I love cars, trucks, and bikes, and want to talk about them like all the time, seriously, ask any of my friends, uh, I guess it, it's kind of important that I, like, be a decent dad. Um, at least that's what the parenting books say. Uh, finally, the new format is, is more aligned with my initial goal for the site, which was to serve as a celebration of the joys of motoring and, and all the ways in which we drive. The, the deep dive segments have been some of my favorites to produce over the past year and a half, and you've been seeing fewer and fewer of them recently because they take time to get right, and I haven't been willing to commit the time, willing or able to commit the time, to do them the right way because no story is better than a half-baked story, in my opinion. Each show will now essentially be one long deep dive, whether promoted or prompted by some news that week or, or because I think uh, something is of interest to listeners to cover. And this is where you come in. Uh, throughout what I guess was uh, phase one of the Always Drive podcast, interaction with listeners has been, uh, let's, let's say sparse, um, <laughs> basically only talking with my friends occasionally about something I brought up in a show recently. Um, I'd like this to become a two-way street, whether it's listener proposing uh, an idea for a future show uh, subject or becoming a contributor to the podcast with their own stories to share, I'm all about bringing the automotive community together, and, and this podcast can and should be a vessel for accommodating that. So, so please let me hear from you about your ideas from the show, about your stories, about your relationships with cars, and, and what you want to learn about and what you want to hear about. There, there are a mountain... Uh, the, of subjects out there on cars, trucks, and motorcycles, and it's just waiting to be tackled. So I, I want to be your Sherpa as we depart Base Camp 1 on, on this adventure. Uh, so I look forward to what the future holds for this show as we enter Phase 2, and, and for having a greater level of interaction with you listeners as we move forward. So for one last time, here are your headlines. <laughs> Well, it's been four and a half weeks since our last Tesla update, and they pretty much have just had their heads down cranking out Model 3s, right? I mean, what could possibly have happened in the last 30 days of interest, right? 
Uh, let's let's flip, flip through some tabs here on the browser and see. Um, well, this is good. Uh, the Model 3 received a five-star crash test rating from NHTSA, which people have started pronouncing NHTSA, which I'm not sure when that started becoming a thing. But uh, anyway, you know, good crash test rating. Uh, what else? Um, uh, okay, their uh, uh, vice president of global supply management resigned right as the company is apparently dealing with a shortage of car haulers to deliver their Model 3s. Huh, what a coincidence. Uh, uh, CEO Elon Musk actually tweeted that the company is building their own car carriers to deal with that shortage, which, what? I mean, dude, the answer is not always to build it yourself if you don't have it immediately in front of you. Apparently, Jalopnik did some digging, uh, and a bunch of car hauling companies have capacity and can help out, so... It just sounds like poor planning, which, I mean, I guess the guy resigned, so there you go. Uh, what else is there? Uh, Elon, oh, he finally got sued uh, by the guy he called a pedophile. Oh, well, uh, that makes sense. Um, uh, let's see. Uh, their keys are hackable, and cars can be stolen with about $600 in equipment. Well, I guess that's true of pretty much any keyless system these days, but I guess that makes sense why they just rolled out that pin to drive over the air a couple weeks ago, so... I guess everyone update that and on on your Teslas. Um, I guess that's uh, just about it, isn't it? Uh, oh no. <laughs> Uh, so you guys remember when Elon tweeted that uh, he wanted to take the company private and had the funding secured? Well, the Securities Exchange Commission remembers that too, and it turns out they've been on the internet. Uh, doing some research and sending some emails, and, well, the long story short is that Elon is just a monumental dumbass who has cost his company an incredible amount of money. Uh, so, here's the abbreviated long story. Uh, after speaking with Musk and others, the SEC determined that Elon acted recklessly and fraudulently, seeking to manipulate the price of his stock, which negatively impacted the company's investors which it did because the stock went on a roller coaster and a lot of people lost a lot of money when the stock dropped. So the SEC went to Elon and said, You done messed up, e Elon! And uh, offered him a settlement of between 5 and $10 million, as well as him stepping down as chairman. So the smart play here, as in all crises from a crisis communicator, was to get out in front of it, admit wrongdoing, take your penalty, and move on with life as a person and as a business. So, of course, that's the opposite of what Elon did. Instead, he was like, nah, F you guys. I'm going to fight this on principle because integrity matters to me most, not money or anything. Um, that was on Friday of last week. And then on Sunday, uh, <laughs> how fleeting integrity is. Instead, Elon has now accepted a settlement costing him and his company both $20 million, and that $40 million total will be distributed via a court to shareholders who were harmed by Musk's reckless tweeting. He's also been removed as chairman and banned from serving in that role for three years. Uh, the upside for him is that he gets to stay on as CEO. Apparently, many investors were worried he'd be forced from that role as well, making Tesla a less attractive company to invest in, which must mean they listen to a very different podcast, because I feel like I'd be less likely to invest in, co in a company who has a volatile CEO who keeps getting himself into trouble, but I mean, what do I know? I'm merely a master of business administration. Um, the bigger deal here isn't the $40 million fine levied, it's the fact that Tesla didn't get out in front of the story to reassure its investors, 
that it was steadying the ship. Instead, the refusal to settle against the allegations set forth by the SEC sent Tesla's stock price plummeting 14%, losing the company more than $7 billion in value in just two days. And analysts are increasingly convinced that the company is going to have to borrow more money to carry on making cars, regardless what Musk posts on social media. After all, the SEC has so profoundly laid out, Elon doesn't really do much thinking before he tweets, just like he did when he went out and called the SEC the Short Seller Enrichment Commission. Um, unfortunately, the judge has not rejected the settlement, and it's going forward. I, I guess he'll never really learn his lesson. Uh, when Ford decided to kill off their passenger vehicles in the United States, they did so because it wasn't economically feasible to produce small cars inside the country, and the growing threat of the death of NAFTA meant producing vehicles in Mexico and sending them up was risky business. Rather than keeping their current lineup and producing it elsewhere, they decided on sticking us with the Ford Act or Focus Active and the awful little Echo Sport, which looks like what would happen if you stuck an Escape in a photocopier and then scaled down the vehicle 75%, but then scaled down the wheels and tires 50%. Anyway, the Focus Active is made in China, and the 25% tariff on cars from that country now means we are no longer going to get the Focus Active on our shores. But the Echo Sport will still be Ford's entry-level model because it's made in India and shipped over here. Unlike China, India doesn't have an ongoing trade war with the U.S., so it's not subject to tariffs, meaning it's still economical for companies to produce there and ship to the States. All of a sudden, other car companies are like, oh shit, yeah, India! And Mercedes has decided to produce its money-bag-delivering compact crossover, the GLC, from their plant in India. And while GM hasn't committed to bringing a specific model to the U.S. from that country, they have stated that their Indian automaking capacity has been converted to act as an export base, meaning you can probably expect your next Chevy Cruze to have a taste for curry-flavored gasoline. Uh, the point here, though, isn't that India is the solution to everyone's problems, but rather that the solution to everyone's problems isn't tit-for-tat tariff-slinging, than the escalation of trade wars between individual countries. That's not to say we uh, need a trade war among all countries, but rather that companies are smarter than the government. Pick a fight with China? Okay, we'll just build our cars in India. Pick a fight with India? All right, we'll just build our cars in Vietnam. Pick a fight with Vietnam? Hello, South Africa. You, know, you get the point. These manufacturing jobs for small cars, no matter how many times they are promised or how many trade wars have to be started in their name, they are not coming back here because there's always going to be someplace cheaper that they can be made, and car companies are corporations, and they don't exist to give people jobs but to make money. Uh, another boring political crap this week, NAFTA is officially dead to be replaced by the much more cleverly named United States-Mexico-Canada Agreement which will apparently be abbreviated USMCA because it so easily rolls off the tongue. Uh, apparently Trump wanted to originally call it the USMC in a uh, nod to the U.S. Marine Corps, even though that would have just led to more confusion. But hey, he's good at confusion. Anyway, the New Deal has uh, some effect on automotive production, namely raising the percentage of a car build, built in the three countries to 75% in order to avoid tariffs and also requiring that 30% of vehicle components get made by workers making at least $16 per hour. 
That amount moves up to 40% by 2023 and is clearly an effort to move production to the U.S., even though it will probably just mean two things. Workers in Mexico will be paid more and more production will move to South Asia, where work is even cheaper. Uh, that is if Congress decides the rest of it is good enough and passes it through, um, which is far from certain given our current political climate. The steel tariffs, though, which uh, Canadian Prime Minister called insulting and unacceptable, remain in place because, you know, you never treat a bitch too good. Like I said, treat it like dirt and she'll stick to you like mud. Um, on to companies that aren't making enough money, which is uh, actually uh, also Ford. Um, <laughs> when Jim Hackett took over, they had a bunch of grand plans to turn the company around. And then out of nowhere came Donald Trump in addition to attempting to strong arm them into building more cars in the U.S. Trump's tariffs have cost the company an anticipated 50,000 fo focus active sales because of the tariffs on China, like I mentioned. Uh, but that stems from recent tariffs. What about their older OG tariffs on steel and aluminum that he launched months ago? Um, Hackett explained uh, recently that those have cost them on the company just about a billion dollars in profit just since the tariffs were implemented. So in just three or four months, he says the irony is that the focus source or that Ford sources most of its steel from the U.S. But by building cars in Canada and Mexico, the company is getting hit by both bringing metal into the country and taking it out. Hackett hopes that the new NAFTA deal is coming soon because it'll only get worse if the tariffs stick around, but they're still sticking around, so sad. Uh, sometimes when two companies come together to collaborate on new technology, it's hailed as a partnership of equals, both looking to share resources and streamline processes to make something more uniform for the benefit of all. Sometimes it's uh, one company throwing a ton of money at the other because they're so behind in one area of technology that the fastest way to catch up is to just buy their way into the game. And I'll let you decide what this is when I tell you Honda is investing more than $2 billion in General Motors' cruise division over the next 12 years to develop a high-volume autonomous vehicle utilizing GM's technology. They're throwing in an additional $750 million to get an equity stake in Cruise, betting that other companies will want to get in on that sweet, sweet autonomous action, and they could actually reap some benefit from being part owner. And it is sweet action. Cadillac's Super Cruise was recently rated as a more competent autonomous technology than any other current offering available, including Tesla's poorly named Autopilot. Uh, combined with Honda's, quote, partnership with Chevy to use Bolt battery technology, and considering that Honda has neither an electric car nor a car with any sort of autonomy available on the roads, I think you've probably come to the correct decision on where Honda stands in this relationship. Uh, a year after German investigators found that despite Daimler and Volkswagen using defeat devices to skirt emission rules on their diesel-powered cars, the companies were not involved in any anti-competitive activities together. Um, I guess they're bored over there and are deciding to look into meetings that took place between the five main German automotive manufacturers to see if there was anything else they may have colluded on. The raids on BMW, Audi, VW, Porsche, and Daimler hasn't previously, uh, haven't previously turned up much that we know about other than that the companies regularly met to discuss common requirements for car parts and testing procedures. 
which especially makes sense for Audi and Porsche, considering they're both owned by Volkswagen and share development on many projects. Um, allegations have been made that indicate the companies may have collaborated to limit the development and application of emissions control systems or technologies and also establish some price-fixing schemes. If they're, if they're found to have engaged in anti-competitive behavior, they could be subject to fines amounting to 10% of their global turnover, but that's certainly a long way off and by no means likely given the existing evidence from past raids. Uh, to me, all of this just reeks of Germany being super embarrassed that they didn't catch their own companies cheating, so now they're being overly cautious about everything to the detriment of the companies who rightly brought it upon themselves by cheating in the first place. Um, we all know and love Rolls-Royce for producing the Phantoms and luxury barges that our boss's 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 boss is driven to work in every day. Uh, but the company also produces engines for airplanes, boats, trains, trucks, uh, mines, apparently, and even nuclear power stations. And, and while they haven't explored hybrid technology in their vehicles yet, they're doing exactly that with their train division, rolling out some diesel-electric hybrid trains to operate in England, where only 42% of the rail network is electrified. The new hybrid trains will be able to run on electric power only for short distances, making them quieter when rolling through towns or up to stations, which I think everyone in England will probably enjoy. Um, no word on what the fuel economy is, but I can imagine it's in the fractions of miles per gallon. Um, at the same time, when you break it down by passenger, rail travel is still much more eco-friendly than cars. Um, that being said, I would much rather be driven around in a Rolls-Royce vehicle than camped out on a bench next to a drunk soccer fan on a train powered by a Rolls-Royce engine. So there's also a price to pay for <laughs> eco-friendliness. Um, <clears throat> I can't tell you how many stories uh, I have seen in the last four or five weeks about various world records that I passed over uh, when writing this show. But it, it was very many, from a guy on a bicycle following a Porsche Cayenne to a Volkswagen Jetta. It, it seems like you can pretty much just go out and set a new world record um, if you are specific enough about the conditions you are setting it in. In fact, on the way home from work this week, I set a new world land speed record for the fastest speed achieved during rush hour on a Tuesday by a two-wheel drive Volkswagen at a temperature of more than 70 degrees with the air conditioning on. I, I don't mean to brag, but there is actually a new Nürburgring record this week and one that I think is kind of neat. Um, as you all undoubtedly know, the Nürburgring Nordschleife is a 12.8-mile track through the wooded hills of Germany that many call the Green Hell because it is so long that it is pretty much impossible to remember all of its 160 turns. Yet, Von Gitten Jr. had the audacity to take his Ford Mustang RTR to the track and become the first driver to drift the entire almost 13 miles. Normally, drifting is not allowed at the Nürburgring, so nobody else has really been allowed to try this, but it was probably a safe bet that the one person who could do this successfully would be one of the winningest drivers in Formula Drift history. Um, Ford hasn't revealed the lap time because with drifting, it's about style and not speed, but they did note that he reached 149 miles per hour at one point, which seems like an awfully fast speed to be going sideways. Um, he ended up fully shredding three sets of tires during the attempt, which 
makes sense. Um, I also imagine the trees of the surrounding woods now have a nice rubber coating on their track sides as well. Um, chances are, if you see an electric vehicle charging point somewhere, you take note of it because they're not super common right now. Um, yet, every time you pass a gas station, you may look to see what the price of unleaded is, but it's, it's not really remarkable in any other way. Uh, well, Silicon Valley-based ChargePoint is looking to change that over the next decade, and will be ramping up their charging network from the existing count of a still considerable 53,000 to more than 2.5 million by 2025. Um, these will be spread across, across the U.S. and Europe and will work sort of like Airbnb where you can book times to get your car in for charging at a variety of destinations. Since ChargePoint charge doesn't operate the recharge stations, it places their hardware and software on-site at pre-existing locations like convenience stores, shopping malls, restaurants, parking garages, so you aren't going to be driving along and see a charge point awning with a bunch of chargers underneath it like you would a Shell or a Chevron. Um, sort of different, uh, more distributed energy resource kind of concept, but one that I'm certain will go a long way towards easing the range anxiety for potential EV buyers. Uh, as autonomy in cars continues to advance, one of the most important uh, aspects of the technology taking off will be the ability for vehicles to communicate with one another. Uh, General Motors has a leg up on many other manufacturers because all of their cars come equipped with OnStar and regularly communicate with GM on vehicle status. The company has started leveraging their connected status to not only make their cars safer, but to... Monitor your every move. Starting with the radio, GM is now monitoring exactly what you're listening to and when to tell you what kind of sicko consumer you are. That way they can suck you into their web of captive advertising opportunities and more effectively sell you on hashtag consumerism. It doesn't stop there. They can sell this information to any other company who will revel in your shame that you sing along with Mariah Carey in your Camaro when no one is around, and then quickly switch it to Judas Priest when you get to a stoplight so nobody knows you have diverse musical tastes. And what does this targeted advertising, your intimate listening habits, cost? Only your privacy. Granted, this has only been done with specific owners who opted in to have their information recorded, but how long until the long arm of big data reaches into your glove box and steals your radio history out from under you? How long do they go beyond the radio and start tracking the conversations you and your wife are having about selling your home and then relaying that information to your house where your internet-connected lock greets you? Hello, Brian. I hear you are thinking about selling me. That wouldn't be very good for you, Brian. Speaking of smarter cars, we're pretty dumb about them, apparently. Uh, according to a AAA study, drivers whose cars feature Advanced Driver assist Assistance Systems, or ADAS, uh, don't know how the hell they work and thinks they think they do things that they don't. For instance, 80% of people with blind spot monitoring systems think they are capable of detecting speeding drivers coming up on them, pedestrians, and bikes, none of which they can do. 
another 40% of drivers with forward collision warning and automated emergency braking systems don't understand that those two things are different and that the warnings will not break for you in case of an emergency. One in six don't know if their car has that feature at all. Uh, one in four say that their trust in their blind spot monitoring systems or mirrors are is so great that they don't look over their shoulder when changing lanes, which I see on pretty much a daily basis. Um, and another quarter said that they felt comfortable doing other things behind the wheel like texting because they had forward collision warning or lane departure systems, which, as we mentioned, will not prevent you getting in a wreck, but will let you know when you are having one right before you have one. Also this week, a report from England's Department of Transport found that more than a quarter of drivers who died in wrecks on UK roads in the past year were not wearing their seatbelts. I can understand all of this newfangled tech is complicated, but wearing, not wearing your seatbelt is a fundamental disregard for your own safety. You will not be magically thrown clear of your wreck. You will be tossed around in a soup of debris and glass, wind up with your neck where your ass should be, and with the tech stuff, just read your damn owner's manual, people, or watch YouTube. Come on. In another situation where simply reading an owner's manual would have solved the problem, a 73-year-old man in Cleveland got stuck inside his Cadillac for 14 hours recently. Resisting the urge to make an old man in a Cadillac joke, it's actually because the car's handles are electronically operated and, when the battery is dead, will not open the doors and let you out. On a hot day, when you're old, that's a problem. The man apparently passed out several times while calling for help and trying to break out the window. If he had read his owner's manual, he'd know that there's a mechanical release on the door that he could have used to escape, but the manuals are for dummies, right? Um, eventually, one of the man's neighbors showed up and called the fire department, who got the man to pop his hood so they could charge his battery for him so he could open up the door. Because America, he's planning on suing despite his own negligence and idiocy. And uh, speaking of negligence and idiocy, Fiat Chrysler is in the news again because of the new Jeep Wrangler, the best Wrangler ever, uh, is quite literally coming apart at the seams. Um, specifically, the track bar mount, which is partially responsible for keeping your vehicles pointed in the same direction and is kind of important for driving without crashing, uh, has been shown to shear off while, uh, where it's welded to the frame. While a recall hasn't yet been issued, one is planned, and 18,000 vehicles will be inspected, though Fiat Chrysler thinks it's only about a 720 Wrangler will be affected. Uh, one owner who uploaded a video of the defect to YouTube has indicated that Jeep is replacing his Wrangler, but it's unknown whether that will be the case for all recalled cars or just him. Again, Jeep lives up to the same reputation for quality that got my mom, brother, and I stranded outside a pig farm more than 20 years ago. That's heritage. That's tradition. Um, I give ride-hailing and ride-sharing services like Lyft and Uber, Uber a lot of flack on this show, mainly because they regularly earn it by paying drivers crappy wages, having bad executives, and stealing work from taxi drivers who jump through hoops to get their own jobs. Um, but like it or not, having an easy way to call an inexpensive ride through an app is a really great idea. And there's finally some evidence to support that it's really doing some good. Aside from clogging up roads from extra, with extra drivers, Uber and Lyft seem to be having a measurable impact on reducing drunk driving. While no study has completely linked a reduction in DUI arrests and the growth of ride-sharing, 
there has been a positive correlation in markets where ride-hailing services exist and a reduction in drunk driving arrests. In Miami-Dade County, DUI arrests are down 64% over the past four years, and similar reductions have been seen in Portland and San Antonio. In L.A., arrests have dropped 14%. Uh, Chicago, where the public transit system is much better, arrests are down 18%, and in San Diego, they're down 34% over various periods. And it's been a big part of the marketing for Uber, who's partnered with Mothers Against Drunk Driving. It definitely stands to reason that the smart decision is to take a $40 Uber all the way home, even if you live far from wherever you're drinking, than to risk $10,000 DUI arrest or worse, an accident with injuries. I'm glad to see people are playing it safe, or at least safer than they were. And on the subject of safe driving, General Motors has taken a new step to stop distracted driving by launching a mobile phone app. Yes, that seems counterintuitive, and in fact, this is mostly useless or easily negated. Uh, basically, the app uses the phone's GPS and accelerometer to sense when you're in a car in motion, and whenever the phone is moved, will play a sound clip from one of your loved ones, apparently discouraging you from using your phone while displaying some sort of nanny state bullshit on your screen. Uh, the app depends on several factors. One, that you are always the driver and never the passenger because it would be super annoying to not be able to use your phone in your friend's car. Two, that whoever owns this phone or uses the phone is it's installed on is too dumb to figure out how to uninstall the app. And three, that your family will go to the bother of recording messages for an app your kid or whomever is just going to delete anyway. You know, GM could have just made their infotainment system more intuitive so people wouldn't feel the need to use their phones, but whatever, shaming people is fine too. Since car companies have decided they need to be like Netflix, many have started offering some sort of subscription service where you can pay drastically more than you would to buy or lease a vehicle to essentially borrow one on a long-term basis and be able to exchange it for other cars in the manufacturer's lineup whenever you want. It's perfect for your rich friends who spend all day channel surfing because they can't settle on watching one damn thing. Anyway, Porsche's Passport service has been rolling on in Atlanta for a while now, but now Porsche has decided Netflix isn't enough and that they also need to be like Avis and Enterprise, so they have started Porsche Drive, where you can just rent a Porsche from them. You can spend as little as $270 for a 718 Cayman for four hours, or almost three grand on a 911 for a week. Considering that Porsche Passport, you can get a 911 for a month for 3K, that seems like a pretty awful deal, but who knows, some rich idiot may jump at the chance to impress the in-laws for a week. Um, they're also, uh, they've also launched Porsche Host, but not in Atlanta, in California, in partnership with Turo, which is that app that's like Airbnb, but for your car. Uh, basically, select Porsche owners can list their cars for rent on Turo, which I'm not sure how that's any different from just using Turo, but oh well. There are now several ways you can rent Porsches if you happen to be in two very specific places and not care at all about the value of money. Um, it's been a big few weeks for tractor trailers with Hyundai unveiling images of a hydrogen-powered, sleek, aerodynamic cab over, meaning the cab is literally over the engine, uh, semi-truck and trailer, uh, which the company hopes to unveil fully next year. Uh, details were scant, but the company says the truck has been designed for maximum slipperiness, 
and would be highly competitive with uh, current diesel offerings. Meanwhile, Volvo is unimpressed and proceeded to dump all over Hyundai by unveiling their all-electric, all-autonomous truck called the Vera, which means faith. Uh, the faith here is exactly what you put inside this truck because there is no room for a driver. Vera is uh, completely cabless and uh, foretells a future without long-haul truck drivers, which is one of those jobs very high on the list of ones likely to be automated very quickly. Uh, thing is, driving a big truck is really hard <laughs> around cities, uh, but when you're on the open road, it's pretty monotonous and something a computer could pretty easily handle. Uh, not only is Volvo progressing rapidly on the project, they actually have a working prototype they showed off, uh, which can haul any type of common trailer. Details here were also scant, but you'd imagine that, since there's no driver, you can just load the whole thing up with big batteries and get pretty decent range out of it. Um, early last month, Italian motorcycle racer uh, Romano Fanati acted out against a competitor he felt had wronged him. Um, and he did so by grabbing his brake lever during a race while traveling at around 130 miles per hour. Bike racing is incredibly dangerous without having your opponents trying to take you out. For his reckless recklessness, Finati was black flagged from the race, banned for do two races, then dropped by not only the team he's racing for this season, but the team he was planning to race for next season. In short, his moment of madness ruined his career, as it should have, because he legitimately could have killed Stefano Manzi. Turns out other people are also outraged by it because Italian consumer rights group Codacons have reported Fanati to their local prosecutor's office seeking charges of attempted murder against the writer. I'm not sure where Italian law lands on the matter, but there is certainly a point beyond which a racer's action goes uh, from competitive sports and is subject to criminal investigation. If there was going to be a case... I think pulling someone's brake lever at 130 is probably it. Um, speaking of attempted murder, that's just the charge that a sales manager of BMW of Toronto is facing, along with another salesman. Apparently, the two were trying to kill one of their fellow salesmen and went about it by filling the man's water bottle with engine coolant, which is fatal in a very small dose. Fortunately, the man happened to have taste buds that could tell that engine coolant is different than water, so he spit it out and poured out the rest. Uh, he still got sick and went to the hospital, at which point an investigation was launched, but he didn't die, as was apparently the dealership's employee's intent. And we all thought Canadians were so nice. Uh, meanwhile, back here in the U.S., or should I say down in Florida, since the rest of the country would cut it off and set it adrift in the Atlantic if that were possible, Dealership employees are feeling less murdery and more thiefy. Uh, champion Porsche, one of the largest Porsche dealers in the world, their VP of marketing, Shiraz Sukrali, concocted a pretty brilliant scheme that cheated prospective buyers out of around $2.5 million across at least 24 transactions. Uh, he set up a shell company called Champion Autosport and directed clients to pay deposits to that company, establishing fake build numbers, fake billing numbers, and fake agreements, all to cheat people out of their thousands of dollars. And it worked, right up until he got caught. Apparently, Sucrali was on the run with the money, and the dealership will be reimbursing all of the customers for their losses. But you can bet there's going to be one hell of a search going on for their former marketing VP 
And uh, if you'll excuse me, I, I think there's a, a job opening I need to apply for. Um, uh, Chinese car maker Best Tune has launched their new T77 SUV, which uh, normally would never make the news here, except that this one comes with a holographic intelligent control system, which seems like a great idea until you see how it's executed. Your car's digital assistant can be a cute little robot, a young boy you can order around, or an anime schoolgirl, which... Ugh. Uh, you can also dress each of them up five different ways, because who doesn't love playing dress-up with their creepy holographic car assistant? The assistant can handle a whopping 43 car-related tasks, including things that you could probably just as easily accomplish by pressing a button, but ergonomics and layouts are ease of use be damned. You've got a cute little anime girl you can order around on your dashboard. Just be prepared to never, ever drive any runaround in your car because of the forever shame you will accrue when other people find out you drive around talking to a schoolgirl. Also, nobody in America will have this problem because, as since you've never heard of Best Tune, it will never be sold here. Uh, also this week, uh, I recently purchased the South Park Fractured But Whole game for the PS4 and have put a few hours in on it. Um, one of the items you can find in the game from the is from the episode where all the parents in town started driving Priuses uh, and enjoying sniffing wine glasses filled with their own farts. Uh, the joke here was that by driving a hybrid, they were part of the solution and not the problem. But that gave rise uh, to a completely new threat, not smog, but smug. Uh, like everything on that show, uh, this episode was founded on a kernel of truth, which was uncovered this week in Marysville, Washington, where a state patrol trooper attempted to pull over a Prius driver for expired tags. Instead of pulling over, though, the Prius driver took off. And by took off in a Prius, I mean continued at a pace probably unsafe for the current traffic, and eventually exited the highway where the trooper got on his loudspeaker to demand the car pulled over. Unswayed, the driver, Jamie Petrozzi, stayed put, uh, prompting the trooper to exit his vehicle and approach the driver's window which uh, to make the same demand. Uh, Petrozzi responded, quote, I will not. I drive a Prius. I'm not pulling over there, unquote. I'm not unclear what there is, but apparently she argued that her Prius tires kept popping, which is most definitely not a thing common to Prius, Prii. And, and is also not a reason to ignore the commands of a law enforcement officer. Uh, after being asked for a fourth time to pull over, Petrozzi did the common sense thing, which, if you're a smug Prius driver, is to refuse, get forced out of your car, start shouting at the cop that, I will own your bank account, I will own your house, and to say, none of your business, when asked for your name. <laughs> uh, needless to say, being extra confrontational because you own a tire-poppin' Prius is a great way to land your ass in jail, which is exactly what happened to Petrozzi, who is now facing charges of failing to obey instructions, failing to identify herself, and obstruction of a law enforcement officer. All misdemeanors, and all probably meaning she will not actually own the state trooper's bank account. Uh, several years ago, I was driving with my family to visit relatives when the car in front of us veered off the left side of the road, overcorrected, shot back across the two-lane highway, slammed into a hill on the other side, and flipped over three times, landing on its wheels in the right-hand lane. Fortunately, the driver of the semi next to me was skilled enough to bring his rig to a stop before hitting the silver Honda Civic, and we all pulled over and rushed to see if we could help with the car. 
Um, inside the car, we found a 13-year-old at the driver's seat holding a terrified-looking collie and his 50-something-year-old grandmother in the passenger seat covered in blood from the shower of broken glass she'd just had. Uh, and trying to be the cool grandma, she had nearly gotten herself and her grandson killed, not to mention the blameless dog um, by letting his uh, her grandson take the wheel. Uh, this being cool person is the only reason I can point to that a 27-year-old school bus driver had for handing over the controls of her bus to not one, but three different kids along her route last month in Valparaiso, Indiana. Uh, after a very brief introduction to controls, the bus driver let an 11, a 13, and a 17-year-old all drive the bus between stops along what looked like because there's video, a pretty straight rural road in Indiana. So, no harm, no foul, right? Well, wrong, uh, because <laughs> that's actually super dangerous, and I'd be pretty pissed if my kids were on a, dress, a bus being driven by other kids. Um, hell, they won't even let me drive a bus because I don't have a commercial driver's license, and I think you need some sort of certification beyond that to drive children. In exchange for becoming the coolest bus driver ever, the bus driver was understandably fired and then arrested and is being charged with neglect of a dependent, which is a level six felony. Um, I don't know what you have to be have to do to be cool in prison, uh, but this girl better figure it out pretty quick. Um, recently, a jury announced that the winner of the 2018 European Car of the Year and it's a compact crossover, uh, specifically the Volvo XC40, which hasn't even been on sale for very long. In fact, when I was in Amsterdam last November, they were holding preview events for it in the city. So how, you know, less than a year later, uh, after having barely been on sale, can, can 60 people agree that this little thing is already the car of the year? And furthermore, the Volvo XC90 and XC60 won the North American Truck of the Year awards for the past two years. Something about this smelled awfully fishy, so I went looking for some answers and, and actually stumbled upon a, a recorded conversation among the judges uh, just before the winner was decided. Uh, it turns out the, the scandal runs pretty deep, uh, real deep. Uh, so just know that by listening to this, you could be putting yourself on a watch list. So here's the recording. Okay, everybody, uh, thank you for coming. I think we are all here so we can get started. We oui, so we can uh, wear the car of the year to Alpine uh, 110. No, it is like a uh, Porsche, but French, so uh, therefore much better. Mamma mia, la Ferrari aperta. A 112 super fast, even the Portofino makes Alpine look like some shitty British car. Uh, well, chaps, I don't think that's too sporting of you. Plus, the new Jaguar E-Pace will set the trend for electric crossovers for years to come, so it must be the winner here. Why are you even here? You don't want to be a part of Europe, and this is the European Car of the Year award. Well, I, I don't think voters may 
I have understood quite what they were signing up for. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Just uh, break the door, get off the pot already. Am I right, guys? <laughs> uh, anyway, the clear winner here is the Volkswagen Golf because it is the best-selling car in most of your countries, and uh, that sounds like the car of the year to me. Not in Spain. The Seat Leon is clear winner, and it would be good for Spain to earn this award for the Leon. You know, not many people know we make cars. <laughs> and they shouldn't because they are shit. Besides, Seat is owned by Volkswagen, so that is really just another vote for Germany. What the bloody hell is that? <laughs> Sacre bleu, what are you doing here? I thought we agreed not to invite him back after what happened last year. Who told them we'd be here? It was bloody Norway, mate. It had to be. Uh, what's the big deal, guys? I thought he'd be lonely. Plus, we usually carpool to these things because of the mission. So I thought it wouldn't hurt. Why are you even here, Norway? You don't even make any cars. I'd just like to be included. Plus, the lunch was free, so... Uh... Oh, no, this is not a hot-it-stars and hot it Volvo already has, like, three awards this year. You don't need another. This is the sort of cook and taken. It's for the whole degree. It's for the poor, it's for the how is the XC40 better than the Alfa Romeo Giulia Quadrivoglio? Apart from the fact that it stays together in one piece after it's built? No, don't help him. And it will not be considered. We simply can't. Look, man, I think you just want. English, Swedish, me, Good God, man, put that away. There is security we can call, or. Fine, if you want it so bad, just fine, just store your meatballs already. This is bullshit. Oh, merde, I can't believe he did it again. Next year, let's invite the Russians to keep him away. I'll even vote for Lada over that damn XC40 again. Let's get out of here. Squirly! Oh, where is Oh, Squirly! In French new car news this week, uh, Peugeot unveiled three plug-in hybrid vehicles, uh, electrified versions of the 508 sedan, the 508 SW, a sport wagon, and the 3008 compact crossover. The sedan and wagon use a gasoline-electric hybrid making 22. 222 horsepower, while the 3008 uses a slightly different system that puts out almost 300 horses to all four wheels, making for a somewhat impressive 6.5 second 0 to 60 time. The 13.2 kilowatt hour batteries provide for an electric only range of about 31 miles, which is pretty much on par with other plug in models of a similar size, and they'll recharge from a standard wall outlet in about two hours, which is probably more impressive. 
Uh, while none of these cars are vehicles you can buy in the U.S., remember Peugeot has apparently been readying a return to the States where we never really got on board with the whole diesel thing, so this may be part of their whole plan to win us back over with fuel efficiency. Uh, months ago now, I may have gotten a drool all over the microphone when I gushed about the new Volvo V60, um, especially the, the wagon variant, the V, not the, the S. Um, traditionally, Volvo has come out with a jacked-up off-road-ready version of their estates that feature a bunch of plastic cladding that generally ruins the look of the cars uh, while offering only a slightly higher ride height. And let's be honest, nobody really ever uses it. Uh, well, they've just released images of the V60 cross-country, and yes, it does have some plastic cladding to help guard against the rock chips from all those trails its owners are constantly taking them on. Uh, but for once, it, it doesn't make the car just absolutely hideous and utilitarian. The cross-country sits three inches higher than the V60 wagon and keeps the same powertrain, so a turbo four with all-wheel drive and a couple of hybrid and plug-in options coming in the future. Of course, we don't have any word on the price they'll ask for this, uh, just like they still haven't released the price for the V60 wagon, which I find ridiculous. Uh, the san sedan is listed as from 38 to 50, uh, which is only about two grand less than the XC60, Volvo's midsize crossover, which most people will probably end up buying because they have no common sense and because they feel safer in a higher driving position because they're probably bad drivers to begin with. Um, I'll confess that uh, I love tuning companies. Um, stock cars are they're, they're good and fine, but I'm about personalization and the idea that I can make a car good and better and different and special or faster or more extreme either by myself or with working with some outside vendor. So I love it when I hear about new cars from Hennessy, uh, who regularly releases some insane shit, like their 800-horsepower Mustang that goes 208 miles per hour, or their bespoke Venom GT that will do 0 to 186 miles per hour in less than 14 seconds. Um, after taking a liking to the Ford Raptor, they've put their own spin on its competitor, the Chevy Silverado, turning it into the Goliath 6x6, a truck with three axles, six driven wheels, and a 6.2-liter supercharged V8 jamming out 808 horsepower. They had to lengthen the bed to accommodate an entirely new axle, and its corresponding 20-inch wheels and beefy 37-inch tires, which undoubtedly added some significant weight. Even still, with that additional weight and that gigantic size, the Goliath can apparently do 0-60 to 60 in the mid-four-second range, which is very fast sports car territory. Very, very not car-shaped vehicle doing that speed. Uh, is it super excessive and unnecessary? Yes. Do I still want one? Yes. Am I going to pay $375,000 on top of the price of a brand new donor Silverado for want one? Hell no. Uh, I am, unfortunately, not a, Sau a Saudi sheikh, um, so that kind of sucks. Um, the Paris Motor Show was uh, this past week, and while uh, a bunch of companies totally skipped it, uh, there were a few notable debuts, including several concepts. Uh, first, the Mercedes-Benz Vision Urbanetic, which is all caps because this is an all-caps sort of vehicle and that it tries very desperately to get your attention by being very futuristy looking. 
Um, basically, what Mercedes has done here is take Toyota's e-pallet concept, which utilizes an autonomous electric platform and allows for switching out the top to change from a cargo capsule to a passenger compartment and made it more sleek looking and slap the iconic three-pointed star on it, which, you know, adds certain thousands of dollars. Um, they gave it a paint scheme like somebody shot it in the back with a large paintball while it was reversing quickly, causing the paint to spread across the front of the car. And, and it's neat, but, uh, I mean, be real, Mercedes. You're never going to make this shit. You don't need a cargo-slash-people-hauler car. This is much more Toyota's wheelhouse. Or, I guess, Renault, who uh, debuted their also all-caps Easy Pro, uh, which is an urban delivery design study. Uh, it looks like if the cars in iRobot were vans, which is pretty cool, unless you're a UPS driver, because the idea here is that uh, this is going to take your job. Um, this doesn't have an interchangeable pod like the Urbanetic or ePallet, but it does have some sort of connected shit where there's like a leader pod and follower pods, and they form kind of a, a road train, and then I guess split off as deliveries are required in different areas. It's kind of neat, but again, just a design study, so the smart money is on Toyota taking a look at this and being like, uh, oh yeah, the, the ePallet will do this in 2020. Assuming, of course, it comes out when they plan, and they're not Tesla, so it probably will. Um, Renault it wasn't done there, though. They also debuted their Easy Ultimo, and I guess Easy is their nomenclature for autonomous cars. Uh, anyway, the Ultimo is their vision for the future of luxury vehicles. Um, for, so basically what it'll look like when rich people no longer want to drive and trade in their Porsches and BMWs for a Renault? Uh, or or maybe not. They say Ultimo will not actually be owned by people, but rather by businesses or taxi firms that rent out the vehicles for specific purposes, which probably include taking people places. Uh, it's longer than a Rolls-Royce Phantom, but lower to the ground than a Ford Focus, because if there's one thing rich people love doing, it's the limbo to get in and out of their rich cabs. Uh, again, neat looking, but we'll never see the light of day. Uh, Renault, however, did have a car that might actually get made, and that was the KZE concept, which is a compact crossover that is all electric. It's slated to appear in China first with a 155-mile range, uh, which is competitive with many Chinese market EVs, but will certainly have uh, to bump that up before going on sale in Europe. Uh, Renault still hasn't decided if they're going to resume selling cars in the U.S., uh, they have a 30-year break or so, but it would be, certainly be nice to get the demand for this sort of vehicle with a 250-mile range or so. If Nissan Renault have that tech available, the KZE will be made in China, so <laughs> that may disqualify it for sale here unless we get this we trade war won real quick. Um, <clears throat> there are a few non-concepts in Paris also, the most significant probably being the BMW 3 Series. Uh, this is the Bavarian's volume model. Uh, it looks really good, uh, just like you'd expect for a new BMW, and is better, stronger, more powerful, faster, and more spacious, but also lighter weight. In the U.S., it looks like we'll get the 330 and 340i, uh, which you have, which will have a two-liter uh, two turbo four and a turbo inline six, respectively. And the 340, you'll get 382 horsepower and 369 foot-pounds of torque and eight speeds through an automatic gearbox, which 
wah wah for enthusiasts is the only transmission the car will get here. Uh, luckily, BMW hasn't gone the way of their competitors and made the entire front end of the car one big grill, and I think the new 3 Series looks much better for it, um, particularly in the dashing blue that it was shown in. And uh, this really pretty new interior can all be yours for the low, low price of $40,000, or probably significantly more for the faster, better one. Um, Audi pulled the wraps off their e-tron electric SUV uh, recently. Uh, this is their first mass production EV and a shot directly at the forthcoming Mercedes-Benz EQC and that bastard love child of a blue heron and an eggplant, the Tesla Model X. Um, the e-tron, which unlike the concepts is no caps, um, has a 95 kilowatt hour battery that will hit 60 miles per hour in 5.5 seconds on the way to a top speed of 120. No range figures were released, but uh, according to reports cited by car scoops, there's claimed of a 250-mile range. It's all-wheel drive and has seven different driving modes, which are perfect for the seven moods humans are capable of possessing. Uh, though I can't imagine driving this in anything other than comfort mode, especially after seeing the plush, attractive interior. Um, then again, it should be, for a starting price, for $75,000, pretty plush and attractive. Uh, but it is an Audi SUV, so could we really have expected less? Uh, the people's EVs are coming. This isn't it, but expect to see these cutting you off while exiting cl country club driveways or something. Uh, in honor of the company's 70th anniversary, Porsche has debuted a fresh take on the famous 935, a slant-nosed racer based on the 911. The new car, of which only 77 will be made, is based on the GT2 RS and shares its power plant and transmission, but is longer, lower, and lighter, uh, not to mention that sweet slant-nose treatment, uh, aerodynamic wheels, and air jacks installed at each corner to help with quick tire changes. While this may herald a return of the 935 to racing, the company is mum on that right now, but you can buy one provided you live in Europe. Uh, the cost, 701,948 euro. Uh, why not just round it off to 700k? Because 1948 was the year Porsche was founded. In return, you get 700 horsepower of flat six fury and a very respectable 19.9 miles per gallon, because I'm sure you care about that sort of thing. Um, not to be outdone, Ferrari tore the curtain off their new limited edition Monza SP1 and SP2, which are basically the same uh, incredible hybrid of modern technology, aerodynamics, and faithful heritage styling, except the SP1 only seats one person, and you guessed it, the SP2 seats two. Um, they're powered by the 6.5-liter V12 from the 812 Superfast, uh, tuned to 809 horsepower and 503 foot-pounds of torque that are good for a 2.9-second 0-60 time. I'm sure that feels much faster given neither car has a windshield, and they'll both top out at 186. Unlike the Porsche 935, Ferrari will build a whopping 500 of these, but the price hasn't been unveiled yet. Chances are, if you have to ask... Well, they're probably already sold out anyway, right? Yeah, probably. Anyway, I love these speedsters, so supercar makers, you better keep that coming. Uh, finally this week, uh, politically, things seem to be moving a bit backwards for women lately. Uh, but the same cannot be said in the racing world. 
Uh, last week, 21-year-old uh, Spanish World Supersport 300 rider Ana Carrasco was crowned champion of her class, becoming the first ever woman to win a motorbike world championship. And she did so in dramatic fashion, winning it all in the last race of the season, beating her nearest competitor by a single point in the standings after starting in 25th place and battling her way back to 13th for the championship clinching points. At 21, she still has a bright future ahead of her, so the Super Sport 300 series may just be the beginning. And it's hard to say she hasn't worked for it, having ridden motorcycles for 18 years already. Meaning, yes, she started at age three, at which point I think I was just about able to walk upright without being a bumbling idiot child. So, congratulations to Anna on her incredible achievement, and for providing such a great role model for young female automotive and motorcycle enthusiasts. Nothing is off limits anymore, ladies. At at least in racing. <laughs> so thank you to lis- for listening. Uh, thank you to Nicholas Falcon for our intro song. Thank you to all of you who have continued to support this show through uh, what was phase one. And I look forward to carrying on in a new direction with more of your input and more of your participation in the future. Uh, to close us out, here's a custom C6 Corvette that had its original V8 tossed and a custom flat plane crank V8 installed in its place. It's wild because it sounds like it's part Ferrari, which are known for their flat plane crank engines, and part American muscle, which is known for being the best muscle in the world. Here, friends, is your moment of zen. (laughs) 